Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. All right, technology is a wonderful thing. Rue, producing the show today and always. Um, I don't know if I had told you this. My wife has left me, at least, I think temporarily. Um, she and her, her dear friend Denise, they're, they're on a road trip. They're, they're driving south. And um, I, I was trying, originally I was describing this trip as Thelma and Louise, but actually D- Denise and Fran are not Thelma and Louise. And Cagney and Lacey, Laverne and Shirley. Actually, it's probably more like Wilma and Betty, um, which makes... Denise's husband, Nick, and me, it makes us Fred and Barney, which is probably that that's the accurate thing. But it, it's really cool. I, and I guess I had I had heard about this stuff existing, but we had never put it on our phones before. This Find Your iPhone app, grew. have you, you – do you have that on there? Yeah, I mean, all, all iPhones come with it. But, but you have to put it on there and then activate it and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, that's so right. so we did that the other day. So now I can follow her on her trip. I, I know – I know where she is. Isn't that nice? Well, the I, exact I, pinpoint you know, place where I, she is. I know exactly. I mean, I knew she got through Chicago, and I know where she is. And um, I, and of course, the the she wanted me to have it on her phone so I could track her. And then, of course, the flip side is she can also track me. You know? That's so, interesting. Normally, you use that application in case your iPhone goes missing or someone steals it or anything for security purposes. But you're using it to yeah. Track movements. That's, that's well, excellent. Well, I mean, if you want to see, okay, you you know, I know how far she's supposed to go today, and you want to see, okay, what, how close, you know, are they to their destination and stuff. And all right, so it's, yeah, you know, it, it, but it's it's kind of cool. You can kind of see, and then I've, I've done it once or twice this morning, and okay, yeah, they're going through Chicago, and now they're somewhere else and heading south. It's, it, it is, technology is just an amazing thing. We live in an absolutely tremendous world. All right. I'm already starting to get texts on this because this is what I teased. Uh, the 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 election was what two months ago today, I think, as as a matter of fact, and it was a close election, but Joe Biden won, Donald Trump lost. I understand there's some people who don't want to accept that, but that that is just the reality that we live in. Since the election, I think President Trump's behavior has been. Deplorable. I'm sorry if that offends some people, but I, I think it has been absolutely deplorable. I, I understand that you want to make sure every vote counts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But in my opinion, President Trump's refusal to accept reality, despite the fact that you have lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit being filed and being dismissed and tossed out, the fact that he's been unwilling to accept reality, I think is incredibly unbecoming. And as I have argued on many occasions in the past, I think it's it's bad for democracy. And for everybody who is still out there saying, yeah, Trump should fight, Trump should fight, I, I do point out that if if the situation were reversed and this was Joe Biden and the Democrats making the same arguments rejected in court after court after court, I, I know that you would be calling my program and similar programs just denouncing the out-of-control Democrats who were trying to stage a coup. So I, I understand that. So you've had President Trump who has refused to accept the, the reality of, of the loss. Okay, there's nothing that says he has to do that. However, what, what he has done, and I, I've described it as the Wreck-It-Ralph approach, it's this, it, it's this scorched-earth attack 
on other Republicans who refuse to go along with him. You know, the the term that he's throwing around is surrender caucus. And anybody who refuses to go down any sort of rabbit hole that the president wants to, well, they're they're rhinos. They're not supporting me. They're part of the surrender caucus. And and what President Trump is doing, at least in the short term, is he's he is creating a civil war in the Republican Party among his most avid MAGA defenders. And I, I think a lot of other people who are saying, OK, there's nothing to see here. It's time to move on. On top of that, since the election, President Trump has done, I think, everything he possibly can to try to undermine the mainstream Republican Party. And I'll give you the classic example. This stimulus bill that you know people were pushing for, his Treasury Secretary is in the room while all these meetings and discussions are taking place. They get an agreement that was essentially signed off on by the White House that we're going to have a $600 stimulus bill. Okay, that's what the check is going to be. And then after that's agreed to, after it's passed, President Trump takes the Twitter and he says, oh, it's got to be 2000 despite the fact that his Treasury Secretary signed off for 600 And then Trump starts ripping on Mitch McConnell and Republicans in the Senate because they don't want to go up to 2000 It's almost like he is doing everything he possibly can to lash out and uh, again at, at anybody including members of the Republican Party and then then you have the attacks in Georgia now the big news today is there's the, the two Senate runoffs that are going on in Georgia that will determine which party controls the Senate which is going to have a huge impact over the next two years. You have President Trump, who for the last week or two has pretty much declared war on the Republican governor of Georgia, on the Republican secretary of state of Georgia, and on other politicians in Georgia who won't find 11,780 votes for him as he tries to argue that he really won Georgia. And that all culminates in that phone call over the weekend where it sounds like Marlon Brando in The Godfather saying, all right, you, you know, you've, 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 you've got to find this for me. Not talking about you know anything else, but th- this is it, and spouting all these crazy conspiracy theories. It is almost, again, like the president has decided if he's going down, he's going to take large elements of the Republican Party with him. All right. Now, I understand that there's a lot of people that have just, I mean, over the last four years, they've been we, they've been drinking the Kool-Aid, love everything that he does, love the style, love the chaos style of management. There's a lot of others of us who supported the president because the, the economic policies seem to work and... At the end of the day, even though I don't think he showed much empathy when it came to COVID, and and I think if he had taken a different tact in in March, it might have had a different result. But I, I don't, as I've argued before, I don't think there's really much Trump could have done in March that would have changed where we were with COVID in November. Some people disagree, but I, I just don't. I think that's the nature of this, and we're going to be stuck with the COVID pandemic until we get the vaccine out in major force. But but regardless, for people who voted for President Trump, I, I think, as I said, his behavior since the election, this lashing out, this refusal to accept reality, and this decide to, it seems like, to try to sink any Republican that doesn't go along with him, I think that behavior has been, yes, deplorable. 
All right, here's what I want to discuss, because I was talking about this with a couple people yesterday. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If two months ago you voted for President Trump, if instead of knowing what we know now, if instead of being two months ago the election was held today, would you still vote for President Trump? Or has the behavior since two months ago, since the election, the, the lashing out, the inconsistencies, the attacks, all right, is it too much? Would you vote for Donald Trump again if the election were held today? Or has the behavior over the last two months, has it caused you to change your mind? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As somebody who did vote for President Trump, Two months ago, I am so very, not necessarily surprised, but disappointed by the, as I will describe it again, the deplorable behavior. I, I'm, I'm clearly on the fence, and I, I, I don't know how else to say it, but it seems to me that the president's behavior in many respects has been unhinged, but it is the lashing out, the, decides, the, the, the desire to destroy anything and anyone regardless of how loyal they have been, because, again, they're not going to sacrifice their principles. They're not going to make themselves look like a kook. They're not going to get in bed with the Rudy Giuliani's and the Sidney Powell's of the world. Yeah, I I have to tell you, that behavior has been so appalling, I don't know what I would do if the election were today. How about you? 855-616-1620. We discuss next. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I could give you other examples, but in my opinion, the behavior of President Trump since the election two months ago has been deplorable. And, and it's not just the personal behavior. It's not just the behavior calling into question the legitimacy of elections. It's not just, I think, his desire to turn the United States into a banana republic, which is setting bad precedent moving forward. But it's also this scorched earth thing where let's see how many Republicans we can destroy. And mark my words, if Republicans lose the Senate election elections in Georgia today, and I'm not predicting they will, but they should win them handily. And if they lose them, it's going to be because of President Trump and all his shenanigans and antics over the course of the last two months, which seem designed to almost destroy anybody, anybody um, who gets in his way. All right, let's start with Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, Yes, it's a very hard uh, question, and as I told you, Spirit, unfortunately, after what happened uh, this past weekend, I could not in good conscience vote for him. Um, I was quick to say that I still I couldn't vote for Biden either uh, because of Kamala Harris, and I've always said someone who doesn't vote, like uh, like people were saying in 2016, oh, I can't vote for either, and I said that's a cop-out. you got to vote for one. But it would have come to where I couldn't vote for either um, in good conscience because um, – you know, loyalty is important, but most of the time, integrity is more important. And yeah. he is not showing integrity right now, it doesn't seem. So that call um, in Georgia with the Secretary of State, that was kind of the straw that broke, the final straw that broke that your back. Fine. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I, you know, I had some misgivings about him even in 2016 during the Republican primary. Um, some of his tactics and attacking people like John McCain and yeah. then some of the people that are running against him. I did not appreciate that, but... Like you, I thought he had some very good policies, and that's what made me vote for him. And it is unfortunate that COVID happened, um, but it's 
you know, there's parts of him that I don't know if you can reconcile. Well, thanks for the call. Well, and again, again, to me, it's it's this lashing out. It's the, the one of the things that has highlighted this country, you know, since its inception has been the peaceful transition of power. And, and President Trump is calling that into question. But it's not just that. It's this desire to destroy anything around him, including, look, the, the, the stuff with the stimulus thing, He his his. Treasury Secretary signs off on a $600 stimulus, and then he spends the better part of a week essentially trying to destroy Republicans who had agreed to 600 didn't want to pay 2000 What What is that all about? Again, on, on essentially on the eve of the election in Georgia, and then you decide on Saturday or Sunday or whenever that call was that you're going to call the Republican Secretary of State and, and you're going to threaten him and sound like you're a mafia boss? At some point in time, I just, you, you wonder when it happens that is enough is enough. Let's talk to Peter in Delavan. Peter, you're on WTMJ. I didn't sign up for this. Okay. I voted for him, and I voted for him because of his policies. And I know he made rumblings in, you know, the months leading up to the election that he thought the election might be rigged. Right. But I still voted for him for his policies, and yep. I didn't sign up for this craziness. I mean, so he lost. You know, I'll back other candidates that come along in other elections, even down-ballot ones, that support my feelings and my beliefs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think – well, it's – and that – I guess – what I'm looking at, and, and I'm, look, I'm not drinking the mainstream media Kool-Aid. I, I'm not. But there, there is a very real rift in the Republican Party that's developing between the people that are, I think, based in reality and say, look, we're, we, all right, there's been all these lawsuits that it's, we, we've had 50 plus lawsuits. You know, the, there's no court in the land, whether it's Republican appointed just judges or whether it's Democrat appointed judges or elected judges. We, we're not finding anybody that's finding a basis to overturn this election. And so yet you have the president making the, these phone calls saying, I, I demand you find 11,780 votes to, to turn the, this over. You've got the president who's just lashing out at Republicans. This is the surrender caucus because people won't go down the rabbit hole. And at some point in time, you wonder, all right, if we accept the fact that this is bad for the country and we accept and a number of people are texting me saying, Jeffrey, you surprised. Yeah, I am a little bit surprised that he is taking it to this extreme. 855-616-1620. Would your vote be different today? knowing what we know over the course of the last two months. Terry in Pewaukee. Hi, Terry. Hi, Jeff. What do you think? Uh, I still would vote for him. Okay, tell me why. And I, 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 I think there's more out there than uh, we're uh, they're telling us. Oh, okay, by more you mean that there's more evidence of election fraud or something like that? Yep. And uh, it's it's not it's not getting to us. There somehow it's being held up. Well, I mean, that's that's that I I know it doesn't sound right and how they can be doing it, but in the world we live in today, a lot of things can happen, and we can, we aren't finding out about it. Yeah. Well, thanks. I think so. Look, and I I I guess I I can only. 
base stuff on on, on on what the evidence is that that's presented, not the and all I know. And I mean, I I, I thought, for example, the Georgia Secretary of State was was very interesting when I saw him on um, on TV yesterday or or two days ago, and he said, "Look, our, our problem is it's like dealing with the old whack a mole game that somebody will come up with some crazy sort of conspiracy theory. Oh, the voting machines were." were rigged. So there were hundreds of thousands of votes that were cast for Donald Trump that were converted over to ones for Joe Biden. No, 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 we've we've disproved that. Boom, okay, so you knock that wall. Then it pops up, well, we have evidence that tens of thousands of dead people voted. They said, well, no, no, we've done this investigation and we found two examples. In the entire state, out of three million votes cast, we found two examples of of people who died that somebody voted for them. And and there's always going to be some minor element of fraud in an election thing, just like in Wisconsin, you've got the example where the woman in Grafton, you know, casts a vote for her dead partner. Okay, but but they catch that type of stuff. But it, it's this widespread stuff. But even even at that, all right, I, I understand you don't want to accept the results of the election. But it, it's beyond that. It's the scorched earth theory that well, Republicans who don't back me are they're part of the surrender caucus, and I'm going to do everything I can to bring those people down, and I'm going to agree to uh, a stimulus package, and then I'm going to pull the plug on that because I want to make Mitch McConnell and the Republicans look bad. It's almost like he's trying to do everything he possibly can to assure that these these two senators who are running for election in Georgia end up losing. And and he might very well do that because all you need is a, a handful in a close race of of Republican voters who decide, oh, the whole thing is rigged. The president's absolutely right. Why do I need to turn out today in Georgia and cast a vote? And it, it, can that happen? Absolutely. Do I think it's going to happen? No. I still think at the end of the day that both Republicans are going to win. But. But who knows? It's certainly not been something that the president has helped. And, yeah, I stand by what I say. I I think his behavior since the election has been absolutely deplorable. I'll share some of the texts I've got in just a moment. It's 1228. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. During the first segment of the program, we were talking about whether people who voted for President Trump two months ago would vote for him again. And uh, as you might expect, swamped with text. Let me try to catch up on just a couple. Uh, Jeff, I can't imagine why anybody would be surprised by his actions. This is exactly why they tried to impeach him, except that time it was a foreign power he tried to coerce. This time it's a state official, but I think it's a crime. Jeff, it seems to me that the cult of personality regarding hardcore, unwavering Trump supporters has become a real and dangerous thing. It's threatening the sanctity of our democracy. Um, Okay, let's see. Jeff, um, Trump has done a lot of good for this country. Being a poor loser isn't a trait I respect. I vote based off of political beliefs. If I voted due to personality, I would have never voted for him in the first place. Jeff, I was not a Trump supporter. However, I feel he did have some good policies. I could not vote for him based on the very poor statesmanship and his behavior and his behavior, political behavior here at home. 
Jeff, um, there might still be fraud in Georgia. Um, Jeff, I'm conservative. I would normally vote Republican, but I didn't vote for Trump or Biden. But if I would have known what I know now, I would have voted for Biden to make sure he had a more overwhelming victory. Um, Jeff, I was going to bite the bullet and vote for him, and then he started discrediting Dr. Fauci and totally downplaying the extent of the pandemic. That week, he lost me, and I would presume thousands of other voters in Wisconsin. I will blame him if the Senate turns Democratic. Yeah, I think that's fair. I am also now really having a problem with Senator Johnson. What is he possibly thinking? Jeff, one of your callers in the last segment just summed it all up. The president talks about all these conspiracy theories and his supporters buy it hook, line and sinker. Um, Jeff, um, our senator, Ron Johnson, went down the same rabbit hole. Jeff, yes, I would vote for him again. The alternative is scarier. The next four years is going to be very long. It could very well be. But let me tell you something. The next four years, from a conservative perspective, is going to be much longer If the Republicans lose both of the Senate seats in Georgia over uh, tonight, because at that point in time, there is not going to be a check on the Nancy Pelosi's, the Chuck Schumer's of the world. I mean, I've made this argument before, and I think some people roll their eyes. I actually think the best thing for a Biden presidency would be to have a Republican Senate, because in that particular case, it will restrain some of the crazies on the left from implementing some of the more whacked out sort of policies, which could end up costing Joe Biden. And keep in mind, politics is a pendulum. And I mean, I've been doing this for a long time and, and you see it swing. You have a Republican revolution in 1994. All right. OK, that moves the pendulum to the right. Then there's a backlash. You know, you, you see this over and over again. And the, the pendulum will swing from Joe Biden's perspective. Having a Republican Senate guarantees that you, you can say to, again, the, the squad, look, I'm not going to come out and push for a Green New Deal that I know is something that you want, but I know is going to drop my popularity to 45% among the Americans if I do it. Jeff, I voted for Trump. Um, I hate everything he's doing now, but I would have to vote for him again because I can't vote for anybody who doesn't denounce the cancel culture. All right, um, that's it. Jeff, Trump lost this one. Everyone came out to vote, and he lost fair and square. He's counting on his shenanigans, casting doubt. He started his rigged election campaign months ago. Um, um, I have only, I guess, become a never Trumper over the last two months. And candidly, I'm now debating my support of Ron Johnson. Jeff, I would vote for Trump again, not because of the way I like the way he acts, but because I agree totally with his agenda during the past four years. I could never vote for the Democrat agenda. I think he is getting back at those who were pushing the Russian collusion delusion, collusion delusion, and impeachment over the past four years. This was deplorable behavior by the left. Okay, I agree to a certain point. I agree that you had an element of the left that decided early on they were not going to recognize President Trump's victory as being legitimate. And and so you had the whole Russia thing, Russia, 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 that was designed to undermine the Trump administration from the beginning. I, I don't disagree with that. But President Trump isn't getting back right now at, at the Democrats. All right, what he's doing is 
creating a civil war in the Republican Party and essentially putting out this loyalty test that says you have to follow me regardless of all these different court decisions. If you don't, you're part of the surrender caucus. And if that costs the elections in Georgia today, and again, I'm not predicting it will, I am predicting it's going to be closer perhaps than it would otherwise um, be. Very, very frustrating, I guess. Jeff, I was on the fence months ago, and rightfully so. I was very close to voting for Trump, but these last two months have shown what a sore loser he is. I know you feel negatively about voting third party, but I am extremely satisfied with my vote, knowing I didn't cast um, for a closeted authoritarian. Um, Jeff, you asked the question if I would vote for Donald Trump again, and before I cast my vote, I would have to ask myself, do I want another four years of this type of behavior from a president? Um, Jeff, I would know there is no way I would vote for him again. He's a poor, rich loser. Um, hmm. Well, I mean, you, you've got that. Jeff, if Democrats had described what was going to happen if Trump lost two months ago, you would have called it Trump derangement syndrome. Well, I don't know. Um, Jeff, I wouldn't vote at all, and I'm embarrassed to say I did vote for a man I consider to be delusional. I, I think, you know, part of this is that there are, I think there's a degree of what I'm going to call loser remorse that's out there. A lot of people who agreed with the president's policies were put off by his personal behavior and the the chaos management and all these types of things, but nevertheless uh, agreed with a lot of his policies. But I think a a lot of of people of goodwill are looking at what's going on these last, you know, two months and saying, we don't want this country to become like this. We, we don't want every election to be thrown in courts. We don't think that it's a good thing for our elected officials to suggest that, you know, elections were stolen and they really won the election and you can't trust the system. And it doesn't matter whether it's persons of my party that are running a state or persons from another party that are running the state. I, I'm just going to use this scorched earth theory to try to stay in power. Um, Jeff, I voted for Trump. I would again. Let him push this to the limit. Good for him. Hmm. Jeff, he's not a poor loser. He's a narcissist, and he can't stand the thought of not being in the public eye. Well, you know, part of the thing is, if, for example, the Republicans lose tonight in in Georgia, and it, it will be it will be attributed to President Trump. I think, you know, his status moving forward becomes a lot more questionable. Jeff, such a poor loser, and uh, had tunnel vision, and his tunnel vision about the election fraud has kept him from doing anything positive with the virus or anything else. Um, voted for him, but I think he's useless at this point in time. Well, I, I don't know how it's all going to, to turn out, but and I appreciate it's very, very difficult. Keep in mind, though, you know, with President Trump, Part of his his modus operandi for his entire career has always been to refuse to accept that he lost or refuse to accept defeat. Remember back in the Iowa caucuses when he lost to um, Ted Cruz and and the argument was this was stolen. This 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 cannot be that this was stolen. Um, I was not the loser. And and this is playing out uh, again. And it's fine. I remember a couple months ago, we were having these conversations, and everybody, I think, agreed it's fine to file the lawsuits and make the claims. But at some point in time, you got to move on. And it's not just a question, in my opinion, of not moving on. It's, again, this scorched earth theory of let's see if I'm going down. I'm going to see how many other people I can take down with me, regardless of whether or not they've been my allies over the last couple of years. 
Watch what happens in Georgia tonight. It will be interesting. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I just sent out a link to this story on on Twitter. If uh, you follow me, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. And my note was, seriously, how can you write this story and make no real mention of Tony Evers? And this is one of these examples of, in my opinion, of, of media bias and it, it's the bias by how you choose to provide emphasis to a story. Now, I think over the last couple of years, the, the Evers administration, if, if you want to look at, at failures, there's a lot of them. The, the failure to get a grip on unemployment compensation and some of the people who've been apologizing for, for that. Uh, Governor Evers' failure to respond in a timely fashion, in my opinion, with the National Guard to instances in Kenosha and Madison, a failure. I disagree with the overall lockdown approach that he took. I think there should have been a more targeted sort of thing. But here's, here's the story that, that's out there. This is the headline in the Journal Sentinel and the USA Today. Bizarre, disorganized, Wisconsin behind most of Midwest on COVID-19 vaccination. Some healthcare workers say they are in the dark. Let me read you the first couple paragraphs. Wisconsin lags nearly all of its Midwest counterparts in getting its healthcare workers and first responders vaccinated against COVID-19 and has received fewer doses than other states its size. The state is the 10th lowest out of 12 states in the Midwest in getting a first dose of the vaccine to its residents on a per capita basis, according to data from the CDC. Um, Wisconsin is 10th lowest in terms of how much vaccine has been distributed per capita at 1,150 doses per 100,000 residents in Wisconsin, or about 1.2% of the population. Only Michigan and Kansas ranked lower for the rate at which its population was being vaccinated. Okay, so Wisconsin has been allocated more than 265,000 doses of the vaccine. As of Monday, it had received about 208,000. Data indicates Wisconsin has administered roughly a third of the doses it has received, the ninth lowest of the 12 states in the Midwest. Okay, you, you, you look at this, and then the story goes on, and it quotes all these health professionals and say, saying the way the state is approaching this, it is bizarre. It is disorganized. It is chaos. They quote a Pewaukee-based private practice medical doctor. says it's chaos. He says he's been practicing for medicine for three decades, it's a she, and she doesn't know how to get doses of vaccine. Nobody from the State Department of Health Services or the local health departments contacted her about when she and her staff would receive shots. Efforts to find out on their own have been fruitless. This doctor says, I couldn't even reach them. There's no email to directly contact, said about Tony Evers' office. She said she spoke to somebody at the State Health Department who said, well, we'll call you back. But it never came. It's like shouting into a well. It's just one of the very bizarre, disorganized efforts. Now, the spokesperson for the Wisconsin Department of Health Services, Jennifer Miller, says, well, we're working with healthcare systems and to deliver vaccines. But, you know, other than that, you know, we're 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 trying to build up the infrastructure. But it's going to be local health departments that play a lead role. All right. And, and that's pretty much it. No mention of, no calls. Where is Tony Evers? And my point is, seriously, how can you write this story about the complete and total failure, at least so far, about the Wisconsin Department of Health, 
to distribute vaccines and to communicate who's going to get the vaccines. How can you write this story without having somebody ring up the governor's office and say, Governor Evers, what the hell is going on? Now, now see, this isn't the first story like that because you could have asked that same question when you had the riots in Madison where essentially the governor and local officials stood by and allowed Madison to be vandalized or about Kenosha where that happened or for the six to nine months where people waited and waited and waited and many people continue to wait where not having their unemployment checks. But if if it is in fact true that in Wisconsin, we are like 10th out of the 12th Midwest in the Midwest at getting these vaccinations out. And you have health care providers who can't get answers from the State Department of Health, can't communicate. I like the line. It's like screaming into a well. We can't find out where this is. You would think that somebody in the media would be reaching out to the governor who has had months and months and months to prepare for this. I mean, th- th- it's not like... Gee, all of a sudden we've developed this vaccine and nobody knew it was coming. We, we've known that people have been working on a vaccine you know, essentially since the pandemic started. And, you know, we've we've known while well, we don't know exactly we didn't know exactly when you would get FDA approval. We, we've known that this was going to be distributed. And it seems, at least in the initial stages, that Wisconsin is doing just a you know what poor job of getting it to the people who need it. And we're not asking the governor, because at the end of the day, this isn't the Republican legislature that you can blame for this. I mean, you would expect that this is the governor of the state and the State Department of Health that is at the beginning going to be responsible for figuring out how all this stuff is going to get distributed. And they've done a lousy job of this. And if you look at the story, other than, well, we called the spokesperson for the Department of Health and they kind of said, well, you know, we've got to build up infrastructure nobody's asking the governor, where is Tony Evers on these things, and why does he always get a pass? Oh, that was a rhetorical question. Back with more in just a minute. Here's a tech chef. I have to agree with the doctor's assessment. I work in home care for a smaller independent agency. There is no plan for those of us who are not part of a large hospital system and now residents and workers in nursing homes and assisted living facilities to receive vaccinations. We are out here in the community daily in multiple homes interacting with multiple people. Um, yeah, I mean, there, you know, there you go. Here's it, Jeff. If this occurred three years ago, the newspaper headlines would proudly proclaim Walker's Health Care Department failing, to which I say, amen. I, I mean, and see, I can tell you from some of the text, oh, how, how can you say anything about the Evers, uh, Evers minister? This is the GOP legislature. No, this is nothing to this aspect of this has nothing to do with the GOP legislature. This this is the Evers Department of Health which apparently has no plan at all, despite having months and months there, to figure out how to distribute the vaccine that they have. And as a result, Wisconsin ranks 10th out of the 12 states in the Midwest. And I understand there's people who want to shift blame, but I do think that that is a fair comment. If this was the Walker administration, seriously, if this were Scott Walker, and we were 10th out of 12 in the Midwest for getting um, the, the vaccines of, made available. And you had doctors who were saying, I love the quotation, it, it's like shouting into a well. You know, we call up, 
You know, there, there's no email contact that you can have. When you finally get somebody on the phone, you're told, well, we'll give you a call back and you never hear from them. Where does that sound familiar? Oh, yeah, when we were dealing with the unemployment stuff. And you've had months and months to deal with something like this. Um, it, it's, it is a fair question that's, that is out there. And I, I think it's a question that has to be asked. Jeff, I really feel this is a failure both by the federal and the state governments with the vaccine. I see that other states are having this issue, too. Yeah, other states are having the issue. It's just that we're having the issue worse. We're having the issue worse, which is something I think that, you know, you need to you, you need to keep in mind. And again, the, my bigger point is I just don't see how you can write this story without having a, a deep series of questions for the governor of the state of Wisconsin, who's had months and months to figure out how we're going to allocate this vac- these vaccines. And the reality is you shouldn't have medical providers and, and people trying to figure out how can we get the vaccines. Okay, when we come back, let's talk about Kenosha. Let's talk about this rock out in Madison. Let's talk about gun sales and lots of other stuff as well, including... Is it time to go PATCO on a certain teacher's union? I'll explain. We'll discuss. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. I think it is indisputable that one of the big failures of the Evers administration during the last year was the failure to anticipate and deal in a timely fashion with some of the protests that broke out both in Madison and in Kenosha. Now, I understand that in Kenosha there was a a National Guard presence which was sent out, but I think everybody would agree that that National Guard presence was woefully inadequate, especially for the first two nights. And secondly, that the constraints put on the National Guard were a very, very bad idea. Essentially what ended up happening is that the National Guard was was basically told, your your mission is to protect these buildings. And so there was temporary fencing that was erected. You had all these National Guard members that were pretty much behind the temporary fencing, protecting some buildings, public buildings, while other buildings were being looted and, and burned. Hopefully we have learned a little bit from that, and maybe there is some positive news in that regard, because remember in Wauwatosa, when you had the charging decision that was announced for that police officer, there was a National Guard presence that was there to supplement the local law enforcement presence, and you didn't have anywhere near the problems in Wauwatosa that you had in Madison this summer and that you had certainly in Kenosha. All right, so so now we're back to square one. The district attorney in Kenosha has announced that, that sometime this week or next week, he will be announcing the charging decision involving um, Officer um, Rusty Shisky. He's the officer who was involved in, in the August 23rd shooting that paralyzed Jacob Blake and sparked all the protests. So he, the DA is going to announce the charging decision. You have undoubtedly seen the videotape of this. I, I have no insight nor prediction as to what the charging decision is going to be. But obviously, authorities are on edge. They are concerned that if the decision goes a certain way, namely if the prosecutor, for whatever reason, decides not to bring criminal charges in connection with the shooting. And I don't know that that's going to be the case. I I don't. But 
the concern is that if that happens, you might see a replay of what happened in Kenosha last summer. That is, people taking to the streets, some to engage in a legitimate protest, other to, other to engage in looting and burning, etc. And Kenosha wants to be prepared for that. So Governor Evers has already mobilized 500 National Guardsmen. Good for him. That That's an appropriate thing. And I think more National Guardsmen need to be on call in case 500 isn't enough. He's still got some limitations on what he's going to let them do, but th- that will that will all work out. The uh, in Down in Kenosha, what they're also trying to do is the mayor and the common council um, have have passed resolutions at the request of the mayor, allowing the mayor to set citywide curfews during the eight days following the decision by the district attorney. So they're going to have a right to do what they did in Wauwatosa, which is put curfews on to prevent bad things from happening, or at least make the likelihood of bad things happening less. There, as you might expect, are a number of people who are upset with this. For example, one of the people that spoke at a public comment section on this resolution says, a preemptive curfew is basically showing no trust in the community. Curfews lead to more opportunities for violent interaction with the police. It changes the focus of the night or the day, and it incites anger. The ACLU wading in, saying they oppose citywide curfews and say that uh, you should exempt legal observers from any curfews. All right, let's tee this up. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Given what happened in Madison last summer, given the widespread destruction that occurred in Kenosha, last summer, not to mention the shootings that happened that third night when essentially civilian authorities had regained control, but then you had some of the militia people that were coming into town. Given the fact that the curfews that were imposed in Wauwatosa, while they upset some people, they largely worked. They they prevented widespread destruction and vandalism in Wauwatosa. Given that is the case, should should Kenosha not use curfews if, in fact, they're necessary because of the charging decision? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, in a perfect world, none of this would be necessary, right? In, in a perfect world, the decision is made whether to issue charges or not, and people accept the legal system one way or the other. That's a perfect world. And, and hopefully it'll happen in that way. And again, I take no position on whether there's a basis to charge the officer or, or not. But if something happens, for example, the most the most likely situation that would lead to protests is if the DA's office decides not to issue charges against the officer, and that incenses members of the community who then take to the streets, should Kenosha not impose a curfew? And my argument would be, given what we saw that happened in August, it would be the height of insanity not to impose a curfew. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, hopefully this whole thing won't be necessary one way or the other. Hopefully people won't take to the streets and won't be bent on destruction and looting and arson and things like that. But, but by giving people the ability to impose a curfew, you at least 
give the authorities an ability to control the streets so they're not worried about, gee, we've got groups of people that are out there at 3 o'clock in the morning um, looking to do nothing but cause trouble. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I'm a Kenosha resident. The people that oppose preemptive actions like curfews lost all standing when the first building burned down last time. Um, Jeff, um, it's cold outside. Most people are back working and have to get up the next morning. The crowds will be nothing like they were this summer. Well, I, I, I hope so. But by the way, I, I hope that there's not crowds, period. I, I mean, that would be the ideal situation. But you can't fault authorities for being prepared. When well, I had the opportunity on our WTMJ 2020 to interview Sheriff David Beth, well, one of the first things he said, and he was very upfront about it, he said, look, we, we were unprepared for the extent of the rioting. That, that's just what ended up happening. And they learned from that in Wauwatosa. So in Wauwatosa, they were ready. You had a huge police presence supplemented by the National Guard. You had the curfew that gave the uh, authorities the ability to control the, the streets and say, okay, th- this is it. You know, it's eight, whatever the curfew was, whether it was eight o'clock or whatever, that, that time has hit. And, and now you've got to go home. And it allowed them to, again, stop the destruction, a lot of which happens as the night wears on. So, I mean, look, I, I hope it's not a problem. Believe me, I, I hope that's the case. But you have to be prepared. And I think curfews are one of the elements to that. Let's talk to Ken in Kenosha. Ken, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think about all this? Your neck of the woods. Yeah, um, we went through all this. I, I, I lived it, okay? And our, our failed leadership in Kenosha had a curfew during these few days. Oh, gosh, I think it lasted maybe a week. And guess... Nothing <laughs> was enforced. Citizen. Yeah. Guess where I was during those curfew days? I was at home. Yeah. Now, listen, we, I, I don't have a problem with protesters. Hey, come on down. Hey, heck, as a matter of fact, we fed the protesters and we gave them water in August, Okay. But once that curfew comes, you have to go home. You have to leave. Right. And the people, the authorities have to enforce that. Absolutely. If they don't, we're going to have big problems, okay? No. Because when this happened in August, our mayor was more concerned about his police department protecting that and his courthouse. Yep. And he left all of the Kenosha residents wide open. That will not happen again. Can I, well, I, I certainly hope not. And you're exactly right. I mean, you had the National Guard that was, and this was partly the governor's orders, too. The National Guard was backed up under protective fences that they had put up in front of, like, the courthouse and a couple of the public buildings. And so while everything is else else is going on, you know, you have people, actually, you made the National Guard targets. People were throwing stuff at them. But, you know, meanwhile, all these other private buildings are going, you know, damaged and things like that. And, and again, hopefully... Hopefully this won't happen. I understand it's January. It's not August. I, so hopefully cooler heads will prevail. But the city was not prepared last time. It needs to be prepared this time. And you need to take a step, a page out of the Wauwatosa playbook, which is 
we're going to have the curfews in place and we're going to enforce it and we're going to have the manpower that is on the scene to, to do that. We're not going to allow ourselves to be put in a position where we're outnumbered by the people who are intending to engage in violence and where we have to essentially let people run amok in the city. You have to learn something from that. And and by the way, if, if you don't think it's already starting to shape up like a war zone, that they're already blocking off major streets. You have many, many businesses in downtown Kenosha who are already boarding up their windows. Now, what does it say about an American city? where I guess there, there's so little confidence that civilian authorities can control matters that you, you've got to board up all your windows because if a legal decision is made that people don't like, you're afraid that, again, it's going to lead to this wholesale rioting and violence and looting. Jeff in Kenosha. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Um, full disclosure, I'm a non-recovering lawyer. I just <laughs> got back from my office, uh, which is about a block away from the courthouse, about 10 minutes ago. Um, you're right. Downtown Kenosha looks like downtown Baghdad and unfortunately has to a large degree ever since August. Um, I think there's four different uh, groups. You know, there's legitimate protesters. There are the counter protesters. There were outside protesters from, you know, the West Coast largely, um, which I don't think will be a factor this time. And um, there were looters who, if because I represent several municipalities that surround Kenosha, um, you know, via social media, took advantage of the uh, original situation back sure. in August. Sure. Um, <clears throat> I do think that once the National Guard got to Kenosha in force, yes, that everything, everything, uh, you know, was much calmer. And I'm hopeful that the actions that have been taken thus far will. Uh, you know, be... Your your phrase was the key, Jeff. I I agree. I mean, it's enforced. The the initial deployment, plus with some of the rules they had, really rendered them ineffective. Candidly, it made them targets. Right. And and then then after, after the first two nights, more and more law enforcement came in, and I think they got it under control. But, um... Hopefully they've learned from this because I Kenosha just can't go through another thing like it went through, you know, in late August. No, it cannot because I, I, I frankly can't even understand how many of the uh, businesses in down, downtown Kenosha have even survived this long. Right. You okay. know, because they've all been in fear ever since then. Am, am I right that streets are blocked off now? That, that's oh, absolutely. Yeah, okay. you, you can, I, had, I had to walk five blocks into my office. Wow. <laughs> I mean I mean I'm yeah. talking about I'm talking about like an hour ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jeff, hopefully thanks for the call. Hopefully cooler heads will prevail. Look, here here's the bottom line. And as a matter of fact, one of the texters is making a very interesting point. We we don't because it's Portland, Oregon, we don't talk a lot about Portland, Oregon on this program, but you know, Portland, Oregon has been essentially a riot scene for the last couple hundred days to the point where even the very liberal mayor in Portland is now, oh gosh, I pulled this story, is now, you know, pushing back saying, you know, enough is enough. Here's, let me pull it from my little pile here. Um, Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler pledges to push back harder against Antifa after New Year's Eve riot. And he's announced that he's going to have his own zero tolerance policy. See, the problem is not 
I don't know if coming down hard on rioters, looters, arsonists, I, I don't know if it if it solves the problem. But I do know that not doing that, not coming down hard on them, all it does is it enables them and it emboldens them. And I mean, okay, just think about our last caller. He's an attorney, works in downtown Kenosha, can't even get into his office nowadays without having to walk five blocks because streets are blocked off. You have all these downtown businesses that have been faced with COVID-19, you know, trying to survive in a pandemic, trying to survive in, in a town where, like, for example, lots of businesses don't operate anymore. They, lots of offices send their employees home. Then you've got all that going on. Then you've got the millions of dollars in damages that were caused during the riots in uh, August. And, and now you've got at least a concern that there's going to be another round of riots. Now, I don't know that that's going to happen. I, I just, I, I don't. I have no idea what the decision is going to be, but I do know that it's incumbent on the police chief, and it's incumbent on the sheriff, and it's incumbent on the governor, and it's incumbent on the mayor to say, look, we're not going to allow this to happen again. Like I say, the best example of this is look what they did in Wauwatosa. Wauwatosa learned from the failures in Kenosha last summer. Wauwatosa learned from the failure in Madison last summer, and you know, hopefully Kenosha is older and a little bit wiser. And, you know, again, if there's protests, that's fine. That, that That's fine. But once those protesters cross the line and whether it's we got to separate the legitimate protesters from the people who are just there to engage in anarchy or whatever, that, that, that that's all well and good. That's tough to make that determination. You want to let people protest. But at the same time, as soon as somebody throws that first firebomb, as soon as somebody throws that first brick at law enforcement, you you, you got to move in. You've got to enforce the curfews. You've got to make arrests because that's what law-abiding, tax-paying citizens of Kenosha deserve. Back with more in just a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One of our texters, Beth, makes a very, very interesting point. Now, the, the other story involving Kenosha is that there have been, there's been a, a claim, $20 million in civil damages, which has been filed on behalf of one of the people who was wounded by, by Kyle Rittenhouse in the shooting in late August and by the parents of one of the, the man, one of the men who was killed. Um, and so bo- both the, the estate of the man, his parents, and then the, the guy who was wounded, they've each served $10 million claim notices with both the city and the county. Now, the, the theory is we're going to sue the taxpayer. And, and what happens is but before you can sue a municipality, like a city or a county, you have to give them a chance to respond. You have to file a notice of claim. And then if they decide to not pay it, then you can you can go to court. That's kind of the, the procedures you have to follow. But the theory that's being advanced is that the taxpayers of Kenosha, county and or city, should pay because of the actions of the shooter, in this case, Kyle Rittenhouse. Now, I think this is a really, really tough claim to make, and I, I not... I don't know that this is going to go anywhere if it turns into a lawsuit. But the argument is the police uh, authorities did not do enough to keep these protesters safe from Kyle Rittenhouse. Now, think about the irony of this, though. All right. So on the one hand, you know, bad stuff happens. 
And now we're going to try to hold the taxpayers responsible through because we say the police didn't do enough. The flip side is now they're getting ready to try to do more stuff. Hey, we're looking at imposing a curfew. We're going to have a bigger law enforcement presence. And you've got other people who are now saying, no, 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 don't do that. That's that's too much. We don't want to have a curfew. We don't want to have the police being aggressive and trying to keep the streets clean. But on the other hand, if something bad happens, then we're going to turn around and we're going to sue you. Talk about a no win sort of situation. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. An important battle against racism or political correctness run amok. Let me revisit something that we discussed a few weeks ago, um, but is now back in the news. And it involves the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Now, let me, it's going to take me just a minute to explain this, but I think you're going to get the idea. What happens is back in... 1925, October of 1925, yes, almost a century ago, over the course of three days out at Madison, um, workmen pulled a giant boulder out of the side of Observatory Hill on the UW-Madison campus, this giant boulder. Apparently, the descriptions of this... It's kind of an interesting story because what they say is this that this giant boulder was apparently carried by glaciers perhaps as far north as Canada. It's a 70-ton rock and was was dumped along with billions of tons of other debris when the ice receded. And so they started to pull this out and they had no idea that this was going to be as as big as it was. But this is it, it's a huge find. So what happened is after after this boulder was discovered, it was moved to its current location, um, its current location where it, it now sits on, where is it? It's on, um, it's, it's, it's on the UW campus. It's called Chamberlain Rock. Okay, so that's, it's, and it's named after um, Thomas Crowder Chamberlain, who is a geologist and former university president all right so that's that's the deal and it's been there for like i say a hundred years and this is this rock is studied you know it's one of the things that because it again from a geological perspective apparently it's 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 very very unique and people go out and who study geology study this all right now why could this rock be controversial if you haven't heard the story apparently back in the late 1800s and early 1900s when large, dark rocks, boulders, were discovered, apparently in some circles, they were referred to in a derogatory fashion. They were called the N-word, with the, that followed by the word head. So blank head, right? That, that's what, what these large rocks were called, blank heads. Now, in, in researching this, they, they've been able to find one, one in a hundred years examples of where that term was used to describe this particular rock. I'm looking at the story now. It appeared in uh, the um, Wisconsin State Journal, October 9th, 1925. October 9th, 1925, 95 years ago. And there's a story that talks about how people had dug up, and it has that, that phrase. 
There's no other documented references calling this rock by that name. Now, anecdotally, there's some people who say, well, you know, we, we think in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, some people in, in Madison and some students referred to this rock by that name. Now, all I can tell you is I have friends who attended Madison in the 50s. And when this story first broke, I I, I contacted, I reached out to a couple of them, including some people who were prominent members of the community. And I said, you know, you you were in Madison at least during the 50s, right? Yeah, you went to UW, right? Do, do you know that this this big rock I'm talking about? Yeah, they, they say, yeah, it's that the, the Chamberlain Rock. And I would say, did you ever hear it referred to by, by this term? Was this something that, you know, was common parlance? You know, in in the fifties, and the people I know said, Jeff, we, we've never we've never heard it referred to as that. Now, I, I can't tell you it never was. I can just tell you that it, it was not, at least from people I'm talking to, a common sort of thing. And other than the one reference in the one story in the State Journal in 1925, there there's no reference to this as being anything other than this this giant boulder that's there. Well. Several months ago, the Black Student Union, these are the same people who want to remove the um, Abraham Lincoln statue from Bascom Hall because uh, apparently they, they think that, you know, Abraham Lincoln didn't do enough to, you know, support, even though he signed the Emancipation Proclamation and the Civil War and all that, he, he didn't do enough to support the, the causes of blacks or um Native Americans, indigenous people. So they, they think that that statue should come down. They've also been pushing to have this rock removed. Well, the, the update on the story is that the chancellor apparently has now signed off um, on on this and said, okay, you know, what we want to do is we're going to figure out a way to remove this. It's going to be removed at a cost of somewhere between thirty and $75,000. Now, the chancellor says, we're not going to use taxpayer funds to remove this rock. We're going to try to tap private or gift funds. So money that could be used, whether it's taxpayer or otherwise, to, I don't know, educate students, to promote geology, to promote, you know, a better understanding of of racial issues. Instead, it's going to be used to move this rock. Now, it's also complicated by the fact that you can't just remove the rock because the boulder is located on a Native American burial site. It's There's like mounds that are out there. And so the Wisconsin Historical Society needs to sign off on and all native tribes of Wisconsin need to be notified and given time to provide input because to remove the 70 ton boulder, what you're going to have is there's the possibility that you're going to disrupt these, these Indian resting grounds. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's tee this up. Is this an example of, I don't know, something that we, we really need to do in order to better understand racism and do away with a, a stigma from the past that serves as an example in modern times of, I don't know, racism that might have existed. Or is this an example of political correctness run amok? The fact is, it's it's a 70-ton boulder. It's been there for a 100 years. Any sort of connection, at least in my opinion, to racism is extremely, extremely attenuated. I mean, it's, again, it's not like, 
you, I think everybody would agree that it's not like this is something that was commonly referred to under this derogatory name. And my guess is most of you who went to Madison, you probably know the giant boulder that I'm talking about. And my guess is that if you knew it had a name, it certainly wasn't that derogatory name. Okay. Is this the best way we spend thirty-five to seventy thousand dollars? And does this really do anything to accomplish racial healing? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, just as an aside, it is. My understanding that uh, there will be something coming from the Kenosha District Attorney's Office sometime in the very near future with regard to charge a charging decision um, or not a charging decision that would be either to issue charges or not issue charges in the Jacob Blake case. Um, I, I think that uh, something will be imminent, and I don't know what that decision will be. Okay, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Bottom line is you, you've got this 70-ton boulder, which was found on the UW campus in in 1925. It was now been Move. It's called Chamberlain Rock. It's now been moved to its current location next to Washburn Observatory, and it's it's used it's it's studied you know by by people who are studying geology. In one example, back in October of 1925, yes, you heard me correct, 1925, it was referred to by a derogatory name, a racial slur. All right. Uh, th- that's the only written example that they can find. There's some people who say, well, you know, in, in the 20s and 30s and 40s, th- this this had this, you know, derogatory racial slur that was referred to it. I, I know people that were there in the 50s. Nobody had ever heard that. At least the, the people I know hadn't heard that. So if it was there, it certainly wasn't widespread. But now you've got the Black Student Union, the same group that wants to have the Abraham Lincoln statue taken down. They're... they're pushing um, this as well. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text um, line. Jeff, just because some anonymous people had a slang name for a thing in the past, that means it, it doesn't mean that mattered now or that it did back then. Jeff, this is silly. I guess the Society for the Perpetually Offended needs to find a new cause. Well, well, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's it. Jeff, where do they get these numbers? Thirty to $75,000 to move a rock? That's um, insane. Not to mention it's dumb to even be moving it. Um, when is gonna, somebody going to stand up to this craziness? Well, that's that's the question. I mean, that's the question. And, and, and how does this advance the cause? How does this make the life of one student, one student at UW, regardless of their race, how does this make the cause better? Now, the, the president of the Black Student Union is quoted as saying, you clearly see what the rock was called, and you can't deny the history. And I guess they're pointing to that one story that appeared in the State Journal in 1925. Additionally, you can't deny the way it makes some people feel. You can't deny the way it makes some people feel. Now, I, I've got to say is, if if this is what 
trips your trigger. If this is what causes you to have anxiety, the fact that on one occasion, a hundred years ago, there was a reference to this giant boulder by this derogatory name, if that's something that makes you feel uneasy, well, I, I don't know how, seriously, I don't know how you get out of bed in the morning dealing with all the other stuff that's out there. Jeff, Indian nations should object. They have more rights. Um, well, I think, you know, one of the issues that's going to be there is they can't just go and pull this out because the rock, like I say, it it's on Indian burial grounds, Native American burial grounds, and they they have the say in this. So it, it's not, it, it's really like, okay, are we going to let people come in and disturb Indian Native American burial grounds in order to move this 70-ton boulder that some people might be offended about, even though they can't really articulate why? Um, then there's the the, the President of the Student Association says, if you're not going to move the things that are disrespectful to us because other students love it, put something up that us black and brown students can celebrate. All right. How is this rock disrespectful to anybody? I, I mean, seriously, how is this rock disrespectful to anybody? Um Jeff, I worked in concrete service back in the 80s, and my boss used that term to refer to a specific black stone, but I haven't heard it since. Um, I, I, again, I, I, I'm not saying that there was never, that that term was never used. It doesn't appear to have been widely used, though, with reference to this 70 town boulder. Um, Jeff, a shining example of, uh, uh, people run amok. People everywhere are struggling to pay rent, to feed kids. So let's waste money, even if it's donor money, and move a rock, put our, pat ourselves on the back, and pretend that we've done something to end racism. Um, you know, we all know how much rocks have contributed to racism in this country. Yeah, that that's exactly the question. How does this, moving this rock, make the lives of anybody any, any better? Um, Jeff, how many standing monuments with derogatory white names are standing today? Um, don't know. Don't don't have any idea. But the bottom line is, this is the big issue in in Madison. And assuming that they can come up with seventy grand in donor money, and assuming they can clear things with the Wisconsin Historical Society, and assuming that the native tribes of Wisconsin don't object to their burial grounds being disturbed, yes, you can move the seventy town ton boulder and you can move it somewhere else because it's still going to be studied because of its geological significance so then the question becomes how how is anybody's life any better and the answer is it's not and this is jeff wagner glad to have you with us let me backtrack on something we talked about briefly. Well, actually, we did a whole segment on it yesterday. It's something that really defies explanation. And the, the, the whole thing with this, this Aurora pharmacist or former Aurora pharmacist, the guy who licensed pharmacist for 23 years, who I think everybody knows the story. The, the, the way these vaccine work, the, the vaccines work is that they need to be refrigerated. And at least according to the manufacturer, if the stuff is thawed out, it's no good. It's not supposed to be 
used, right? That's the instruction. So you have this pharmacist who's a bit of a nutcase, is the only way I can describe it, who's decided that he, he's convinced that this the vaccine is, is dangerous. So he takes it upon himself to remove 570 doses of the vaccine from the freezer with the intent, and he admits it, his intent is to ruin the vaccine. So um, 57 people are are administered the vaccine after it's been left out, presumably ruined. Yeah, somebody else finds it and puts it back, but they're able to determine this has been out for hours and hours and hours and hours. 57 people are are, are dosed with what, at least according to the tests, you know, the manufacturer says that this, this is, it's, it's no good after this. There's another 500 plus doses which are ruined. So they chart, they arrest him. The, the DA yesterday said, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to go ahead and press charges because I'm awaiting tests because maybe even though the manufacturer says this stuff isn't supposed to be used after it's been allowed to sit out and thaw, and even though the pharmacist says, yes, I, I left it out with the specific intent that I was trying to ruin this, this vaccine. So there's no question of what the intent is. And again, the manufacturer says, no, that this stuff is not supposed to be left out. The DA says, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to go ahead and charge him because it's possible that maybe the vaccine is still good. And so we're, we're going to go ahead and, and we're going to test it to determine if it's still good. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to be one of the people that gets, that gets a, a, vaccine, a vaccine that's been left out and the manufacturer says it becomes useless. I don't want to be one of those people that, that gets that 500 things. And, and I mean, I don't care if they test it and determine, well, we think it still might be good or not. The point is, it, it was effectively ruined for all intents and purposes by leaving this out. To me, that shouldn't make a difference. Whether or not you can decide, gee, we can test this and see, maybe can we still, could we have still administered or not? That's not the point of this. The guy essentially rendered this useless for all practical purposes. And I don't think it should be a defense saying that, okay, maybe even though he tried to ruin it and even though he's caused it so we probably, for all practical purposes, can't use it and can't inject people with it, well, we're, we're still going to say that there's a technicality and we're not going to charge him. If I'm the DA up there, I'm charging this guy. And then if a jury decides, okay, well, because of some technicality, you get to walk then, then, then we'll we'll leave it at that. But the idea that you intended to destroy a vaccine, the idea that by what you did, you caused the vaccine to be rendered useless, to me, that should be all you need. So, for people who think this case is over, I, I'd say hold on because my guess is my guess is the district attorney isn't going to completely walk away from this. I certainly hope not. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, a number of people are texting me um, saying that the, the, the decision in the Jacob Blake shooting is supposed to be announced sometime later today. Um, just stay tuned. We'll have more information and um, my 
thinking is that it's not going to be announced before the end of my program, but we'll certainly have an opportunity to discuss it tomorrow. And again, as we've talked about, authorities in Kenosha have been making preparations to deal with any unrest that might occur, again, depending on what the the charging decision is. Let me just say this at the beginning. I think for a variety of circumstance, this is another situation where if the DA decides to issue charges against the police officer for a variety of things. It, it's, it would be a tough prosecution. Again, I, I have no insight as to what they're going to do and what they're going to recommend, but uh, that decision, I, I think, is relatively imminent. All right, I want to completely and totally switch gears. We've been talking about a lot of heavy-duty stuff today. I um, During the, the pandemic, one of the things that we did, we being my wife and I, is we made the decision to drop our gym membership. We, 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 belong, to a, we belong to a gym, and, and it's, it's not because we didn't like the gym. It's not because we didn't like the people. It's not because it wasn't convenient. It was because the, the gym was closed for a, a number of months, and even after it reopened, it, it reopened under very, very limited circumstances. I mean, the locker rooms were closed. The showers were closed. Um, there were some activities that you could engage in, um, but but it was mater- it was a materially different experience. And so we just kind of made the decision that, well, okay, it's a lot of money a month for something that we're really not going to use or at least haven't used for, for a while, and, and, and maybe at some point in time we'll, we'll go back. Like I said, I don't harbor any ill will against the place. It was just that I, we couldn't justify keeping the membership given the very limited use or the inability to use it, period. So we, we made the decision to drop the membership. Lots of other people did as well, and, and that's why you know fitness centers and gyms have been especially hard hit by the, the impact of, of the pandemic. People simply saying, okay, we, we can't use them like we wanted, and so we're, we're going to pull out. The other thing that has happened is one of the industries that has really seen a huge benefit from the pandemic in a weird sort of way has been the whole industry around home exercise equipment. Now, a couple months ago, I think we talked about the, this craze for the, for the Peloton bikes, you know, the, the things that you might see advertised where they, they cost thousands of dollars. And it really, it's, it's an exercise bike, and you hook up on the Internet. Okay, Peloton bikes have, have just gone through the roof to the point that if you order one now, or at least a month or so ago, if you ordered one, you're, you're not going to get it for three or four months. But people... And instead of going out to like workout places and gyms, what they've been doing is they've been building their own exercise rooms. Now, during the, the summer when this was going on, you, you, you could go outside and you could walk, you know, you could jog, you could do things. Now that winter has come, the, the ability to go out and, and use the outdoors is, is much limited. But there's there's a story in the Wall Street Journal today talking about how in an effort to continue to, to be healthy, People have dropped their fitness club memberships, and they're they're going to things like again treadmills and Peloton, home streaming applications, more weights, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, things like that, so they can get their workouts in and they can do them at home. Well, well, here's the thing that, that plays out: there are there are some things that okay maybe closed down during the pandemic that as soon as they open up, people rush back to. There are other things that, well, maybe people find alternatives. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 
Will people be going back to the gym as we get closer to normal? I have a very good friend of mine who um, retired not that long ago, and, and he he goes to a fitness center. He, he goes on a daily basis, I'd say five times out of seven a week. And it's partly his social thing. He's also a workout warrior. And it really hurt him um, when when the, the facility was closed. Once it reopened, he, he went back. But he was concerned about, yeah, I don't want to be around too many people, et cetera, et cetera. And essentially the message he was told is, don't worry. doesn't matter what time you come in, morning, noon, or night, you're not going to find crowds. There, there's a place that I used to belong to, like a lot, that I, I drive by every once in a while. Saturday mornings, normally the place would be absolutely packed. Drove by it last Saturday, and at a time where normally you wouldn't be able to find a car, a spot in the parking lot, I'd say the parking lot was maybe a quarter full, which tells me that people aren't going back to the gyms. They're not going back to the fitness centers, at least not now. And I wonder since people have, in many cases, found these alternatives. I mean, you invest in a $2,000 Peloton exercise bike um, or the treadmills or you buy the, the weights or whatever. Are you going to be going back to the gym? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are gyms going to survive? We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. I think some will, but I think it's going to take a long time before they come back. And I think, candidly, this might be one of the industries that really, really is decimated by the pandemic as people find alternatives. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you ready to go back to the gym? Jeff, my gym is slow even after the reopening. They're no longer 24 hours because of the lack of members. The gyms can't afford it. Most of the members were elderly in the first place, so I'm assuming they're scared of getting COVID and will not return. It's sad. I miss them. Jeff, I bought a $300 treadmill. I bought two 25-pound dumbbells in March, and I canceled my gym membership. I don't think that I'm going to be going back. Well, that, that see, that that's the issue for people who've kind of moved on to this. And if you made the commitment that you're buying the treadmill, you're, you're buying the, the weight set, you're spending a bunch of money on the, the exercise bike. Jeff, it will be survival of the fittest for these gyms. Those who can accommodate the serious weightlifters will stay alive because there's no way they can replicate their workouts at home. More casual gyms, like, for example, the YMCA, may fail because the serious lifters tend not to go there. Jeff, I went back two months ago. It's usually the same people every day, and the place is spotless. You just have to remember to clean, 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 and hand sanitizer. Uh, yeah, it's. I, I I was asking like a couple of my friends who who've gone back to the gym. I said, well, you know, what about the locker rooms? Do you use the showers? No, the showers aren't open. How about the saunas? No, the, the saunas aren't open, all those different things. The, the whole gym experience, that's the problem. Jeff, I think only a few of the fitness centers will survive, their clients being young adults living at home or in apartments. Um, Jeff, being near folks breathing and sweating is the last thing on my list post-pandemic. I was worried at first, but now adjust to winter outdoor exercise combined with indoor stretching and light weights. 
Um, well, I, I think, you know, there there's an element of this. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm not wishing ill on, on fitness centers. I'm just thinking that this is probably going to be one of the last industries to come back. And the question is going to be, with, with all the capital you have tied up in these places, how, how many can survive? Mike in Illinois. Hi, Mike. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Yeah, um, I think they will come back. It will be at a trickle's pace. Um, I see it kind of the same way as the movie theaters. Once people start to feel, you know, better, um, they will come back. Um, there are people, like you mentioned, your friend. Um, I have a friend like that, too. They are hardcore gym goers, right. and they are chopping a bit to go back. Um, and then, obviously, some people, as I said, your screener, it, I mean, and you said as well, it's a social thing. Yeah. They go there to be seen, to see and be seen, not just to work out. And then there's also the people who always want the latest equipment. So I do believe they'll come back. It just will be at a slow pace. Well, and my guess is there'll be some that survive and a lot that probably don't, because just like with Absolutely. restaurants, you know, there's a lot of places that you, you, you know, you, you're, you're, basing your ability to keep the doors open on a certain volume of customers and a certain number of memberships. And if you fall way below that, you can only sustain that for at least X period of time. And, you know, honestly, even before the pandemic, I mean, gyms do come and go. Yeah. I mean, it's not it's not an easy thing to keep open. No, so, no, th- um, no, no. Yeah. Thanks for call. No, I, exactly. There's, there's no question about it. And this, and again, this, this, by the way, isn't a knock on gyms. I, I, I was working out with a personal trainer before all this hit, and, um, you know, I did it once or twice a week or something like that. And I, I mean, there, there is a value to that. And I'm not, I'm not rejecting the idea. I'm not saying, gee, I, I would never go back. But at least, you know, right now, I guess I'm not in a hurry to go back, and especially especially until the various amenities are available. And, and I understand you, you can do this type of stuff, but it, it, it's I'll, I'll give you a, another example. It's kind of like going to Las Vegas. If you're a regular listeners program, you know, I used to go to Las Vegas three times a year maybe. I, I like Las Vegas. I, I do. I like going to the shows. I like going to the restaurants. I, I like the vibe. Well, everybody I know that's gone to Las Vegas since it's quote-unquote reopened after the pandemic tells me it's not the same experience. You, you've got... A very, very limited number of people that are on the, the floor. I mean, yes, you can still go gamble, and yes, you can go to a blackjack table. That The number of slot machines are not close to what it is. That The sports books are different. The buffets are, by and large, closed. A lot of the restaurants are closed. And, and the shows that I used to love to go to, that, that the touring acts aren't out there. I know a couple of the hotels have started bringing back slowly, I mean, some of their stage shows. But, but it's not the same. Well, I'm not saying I'm never going back to Las Vegas, but I'm not in a hurry to go back to Las Vegas if the experience isn't what, I, what I'm used to. And I think the same thing's going to be true for a lot of people uh, with regard to gyms. Jeff, uh, fitness gyms are a dying business, in my opinion. Unfortunately, so are movie theaters. I just can't see how they make it and get the clientele back after um, this mess. Um, and I do think there's an example of that. Jeff, kind of funny how last year there was such a controversy with Peloton surrounding the commercial of the guy getting his wife a Peloton for Christmas. Yet yeah, remember that, that that people got all up in arms because 
the the commercial was, "Honey, I got you a Peloton, got you a bike," and then it showed the the gal during the course of the year, you know, working out and working out and getting herself in like better shape. And the thing was, well, what a terrible gift this would be, and how offensive this would be that you'd you know get your spouse a, a several thousand dollar bike. And I, I didn't get the controversy. Anyways, the thing continues. Fast forward to this year, and a lot of people would have loved to have gotten a Peloton for Christmas, but you can't even get one. Um, yeah, there's. There, there is truth to that. There's there's a waiting list right now of, of at least several months. Jeff, I went back to I went back the day my gym opened in June. I don't use the locker room, and they changed procedures for the class I take for cleaning. I was dying at home without my uh, workout. Um, okay, Jeff, I am 69 years old. Yes, I will go back. Would like the motivation and would like to end up getting out of the house. Um, Jeff, I will go back to class at YMCA. I'm not disciplined enough to keep it up at home, and I miss my friends in the class. Yeah, that's going to be the the socialization. Jeff, fitness is a big part of my wife's and my life. We continue to go full access at the place where we are. We have full access to the seam room, classes, and the weight room. The decreased amount of people, in my opinion, is a wonderful thing. Um, Jeff, my husband and I are retired. We have gone back to the Fond du Lac Y, feel very comfortable. They track the numbers in and out. They've removed some equipment. There's safe spacing, lots of sanitizing options. Everyone wears masks, and I remove mine only when I'm on a treadmill, elliptical, or at a safe distance. Well, I'm not saying that you can't do it. I'm just saying that I think there's a lot of people who have perhaps fallen out of the habit and Gym attendance is like a habit, and you fall out, you get out of that habit, it's tough to see if people are going back, and it's even tougher for people to go back, like I say, if you've made that commitment and dropped a couple thousand dollars on home exercise equipment, that becomes an expensive coat rack. All right, Wisconsin's Afternoon News kicks off in just a couple minutes. We'll find out what John and Melissa have on their minds. Please stick around.